Imagine an art gallery filled with priceless pieces of art, all by the same artist. The brilliance of the paintings reflect the artist's skill and wisdom. I might just turn this fan down a little bit because it's blowing my Bible focus. But one night a vandal breaks in and defaces all the paintings in the gallery, including his most famous work of art. Graffiti is scrawled all over them. The vandal takes brightly coloured paint, yellow, red and green, and splashes it all over the canvases until the colours run down the surface, mingling together and all but obscuring the masterpiece from view. Well, the next day, the artist comes into the gallery and sees what has happened to all of his works, including his greatest work, and he is heartbroken. Now, the paintings still have some value. The artist's signature is still visible in the lower right corner, but they are of little use in the gallery in their present condition. They've all been defaced and they need to be restored. And the process of restoration will take a long time, perhaps years, and it will be costly. But the artist chooses to make that investment because these paintings are his masterpiece. Our universe and all that is in it is the creative work of God. And men and women are his masterpieces. We were made in the image and likeness of God. Sadly, the masterpiece has been defaced with sin's ugly scrawl, but God has determined to restore his greatest work. Now, the process of restoration will eventually include all of his creation, but it begins with men and women. It begins when God, by his mercy and grace, saves us. It begins when God, by his mercy and grace, saves us and makes us his children and gives us his spirit. Look down, Romans 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now look back at what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. Verse 13, second part. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are so led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. If ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body. The word mortify there in verse 13 is a battle word. It's the language of warfare. 
And we are, as God's children, are able, we are able to mortify, that is put to death, the sinful deeds of our body by the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit who is with us and who is in us. Now this is going to be a long campaign with many setbacks, but it will end in ultimate victory for all of God's children. Those who just who God justifies are the one that he sanctifies, are the one that he glorifies ultimately. In verse 14, Paul tells us why it's so important that we fight this battle for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Notice the word for. If I say you should listen to this message for it will help you defeat sin in your life, the second half of the statement is the reason for the first. You should listen to this message for this reason, for it will help you defeat sin in your life. You should listen to this message because it will help you defeat sin in your life. And Paul is saying here, the reason you must mortify the deeds of the body, verse 13, is for this reason. It is because as many as are so led by the Spirit of God to do so, they are the sons of God. In other words, the distinctive, one of the distinctive marks of being a child of God is that they follow the leading of the Holy Spirit into battle against the sinful deeds of the body. They wage warfare against the sins that lurk in their flesh. This is how we know what a child or that someone is a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. This is one of the distinguishing marks of being a member of God's family. Those who are the sons of God have the Spirit of God who leads them into battle against the sinful deeds of the flesh. Now Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. And that is certainly a distinctive mark of being a disciple of Christ. But it's not the only one. Paul here gives us another one. He says the distinctive mark of being one of God's children, being a son of God, being a daughter of God, a distinctive mark is this. By, by this shall all men know that ye are the children of God. If you are led by the Spirit of God, if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God, to mortify the sinful deeds of the body, to deal with the sin which is in our lives, to be holy even as our Father in heaven is holy. In other words, following the leading of the Holy Spirit means reflecting the family likeness. We show that we are the sons of God. We show that we're in the family of God. We show by, the, by following the leading of the Holy Spirit that we are like our Father. Holy like our Father in heaven. And the Bible uses the word son to define relationships. But also to describe character. 
For example, when the Bible says that Isaac was the son of Abraham and Jesus is the son of David, the word son there is used to define the relationship. But when Barnabas is described as a son of consolation, the word son there is describing character. And this is how we'd understand the Bible's description of Adam being a son of God. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God. He reflected God's character. He reflected something of the glory of God. God also called the nation of Israel to be his son. Through Moses he said to Pharaoh, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. Exodus 4, 22 and 23. God called Israel his son because he called them to reflect his character. That's why they were given the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments reflect the character of God. God's children, the, the nation of Israel, God's son was to live by these laws so that they as a nation would demonstrate the nature and the character, something of the glory of God to the nations. Now, as we follow the Old Testament story through, we see how God's people Israel turned out to be a son who was very unlike their father. They did not reflect the father's glory. And so in time, God sent someone who did. God himself took upon human flesh in Jesus Christ who is the Son of God par excellence. He is the image of the invisible God, the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, Hebrews 1 tells us. Jesus said to Philip, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. John chapter 14, verse 9. And then as we continue to read the Bible, we find something which I think we should all confess is absolutely astonishing, and that is, that the Apostle Paul here takes up the same language and talks about us as being sons of God. Think about that. God wants his character, his likeness reflected in our lives. Well, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? <clears throat> in our Bible college classes that have been running over the, the years, very often, students take a quiz at the end of a unit or at the end of a lesson or the end of the lecture. And often the quizzes are in the form of fill in the blanks. Um, makes marking a lot easier. But let's uh, take a bit of a fill in the blank quiz here for verse 14. For as many as blank, okay, for as many as blank, they are the sons of God. Now, if you've never seen this verse before, verse 14 before, what might be an appropriate word or words to put in that blank? For as many as blank, they are the sons of God. Perhaps you would say, for as many as blank, receive Christ, they are the sons of God. Well, you would have a good biblical basis for that answer. John chapter 1, verse 12. John wrote, but as many as received him, Jesus Christ. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Good biblical answer, but that's not the answer that Paul gives here. 
The question in verse 14 is not how to enter into God's family. The question in verse 14 is how do you become a person who reflects the likeness and the glory of God? Remember, that's what's, what being a son of God is all about. Will that happen by making a decision? Will that happen by saying a prayer? No. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God to mortify the deeds of the flesh, they are the sons of God. Okay, this is how we reflect the likeness of God. This is how we reflect the, the image of God, the character of God. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us and he will lead us into battle against the sins that have dug themselves into our lives. The Holy Spirit will lead us to fight them. And through his power, we have been given the ability to put them to those sins to death. So what Paul is talking about here is some remarkable marvelous possibilities in our lives those who are led by the spirit of god into this intentional onslaught against sin that resides within us they will be marked by increasing likeness to the character of god it's an incredible prospect for us god created adam in his own image and likeness but that likeness was defaced and that resemblance was distorted when sin entered into the world. But God is determined to restore that likeness in his people. Imagine watching the restoring of a defaced painting. Gradually, you begin to see the original image reappearing. Slowly, the shades of the original color become visible. And what was for a long time an ugly mess now begins to look progressively more and more like the original masterpiece. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is where the Holy Spirit would, is leading us. A lot of people say that the Spirit of God is leading me to do this and the Spirit of God is leading me to do that and to do this or that. And, and often very obscure things. And no doubt the Spirit of God does do, leads us to make decisions and so on. But the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the same ministry, absolutely every single one of us is this. The Holy Spirit leads us into battle against sin which resides in us. And the world will never see the likeness of God in us unless we, by the help of the Holy Spirit, put to death the, deed, the sinful deeds of our flesh. God is using the image of warfare here. So let's just reflect on that analogy and imagine ourselves on the field of battle in the desert. About a mile ahead of you, the enemy has dug into certain positions and you have been charged with reclaiming that ground. Now obviously the enemy is not going to stand on top of his bunker waving his flag inviting you to fire at him and so your first task is to identify the enemy's position. And this is why the art of self-examination is so important in the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 11, we <clears throat> hear it almost every week, let a man examine himself, let a man examine himself. The same exhortation to examination is there in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. 
let a man examine himself. And we are to examine ourselves and to identify the position of sins that have taken up residence within our souls so that we may launch an assault against these positions by the Spirit of God, the help of the Spirit of God. Now, to change the analogy just for a moment, if you visit a doctor for a health check, he or she might run specific tests for known diseases to see if any of them are detected in your body. And this is how we know precisely what is going on in our body. And this is the same approach that we are to have as we we engage in a campaign against sin in our lives. We run tests. There are tests in the scriptures, specific tests in the scriptures, whereby we might examine ourselves in light of what is known sin revealed in the scriptures. Here they are, and I examine myself in light of that, and in light of this, and in light of that. In God's word, God has given us, for example, the checklist of the Ten Commandments whereby we might examine ourselves. And nine of those are repeated in the New Testament. And we can, ask, we can look at that list and ask ourselves a lot of questions, examine ourselves in light of that list. It helps us to identify areas of sin in our own lives, residing sin. For example, let's take the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Clear commandment. We examine ourselves in light of that. Here's a question. Is God the most important thing in my life? Is God the most important thing in my life? Do I love God unconditionally? Let a man examine himself. Here's another commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Question. Have you blasphemed God's name? OMG. Some of us <clears throat> do that. Some of us never do that. What about this one? Have I become careless or flippant about the things of God? Do I treat God lightly? What about this command? Thou shalt not kill. Self-examination question. What has made me angry this last week? Remembering that Jesus related this commandment to the issue of anger. How did I respond? Have I forgiven or have I allowed a root of bitterness to grow within me? What steps have I taken to deal with that in my own life? Commandment, honour thy father and thy mother. Question, what's my attitude toward those in authority over me? Do I obey quickly, sweetly and completely? Commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet. Question, where have I gone in my mind this last week? Remembering what Jesus taught about this issue and the matters of the heart. Self-examination is an important discipline in the Christian life. This is how we identify sin's position. And you can be certain that no matter how long you have been living the Christian life, the flesh will always be attempting to dig new trenches and establish new positions in our life. The art of self-examination. And if we, in light of the scriptures, examine ourselves to find out where, what those sins are, where they are, the Holy Spirit will lead us into battle against it. That's what the Holy Spirit does. 
Whatever other ministry he has in your life, this is a ministry he's committed to. He will lead us to bat, to into battle against those things. And if we feel in our, we say it's our conscience, that we, we feel convicted about certain area, but we resist, we resist, we change the subject very quickly, go on to something else. That's, that, was the spirit, that, that was the spirit of God. That's what that was. That was the spirit of God. It was bringing that to our attention, leading us in that direction to begin to deal with that, not to turn our back on it, walk away. That's, that was, that, what we did, that was grieving the spirit. That was quenching the spirit. That was resisting the spirit. The art of self-examination. <clears throat> Secondly, when you have identified a particular sin and its position in your life, we are then to launch an intentional assault upon it. Taking in hand, drawing upon the resource of the Holy Spirit, the overwhelming power of the Spirit of God into a specific area which, in which the flesh has a foothold. For example, if you identify pride, if the Spirit of God has, a, has, has brought to your mind there's the, there's an issue of pride in your soul, then determine to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and with, with God's help to humble yourself in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions. If you identify a relationship that might lead you into sin, then follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and take those practical steps. He will help you to take those practical steps, to distance yourself from it. If greed is establishing a stronghold in your soul, then follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as he leads you to start giving and continue giving until, with God's help, the power of greed is broken. If fear has taken root in your soul, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to launch an assault upon that specific prayer, meditation on the promises of God. I think the trouble with many Christians is that we take a very, very passive approach to the Christian life. We're waiting for God to do something to make us holy. We just sort of wait until God does something to us rather than realising what God is doing. The Holy Spirit is leading us to take steps. Intentional assault. The Holy Spirit leads us into battle. We go to battle with the help of the Holy Spirit. God has put us in a position of being able to wage war against sin's position and its power in our life by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to be intentional about identifying the target and planning the assault. And God's promise is that as you persistently engage in this kind of warfare, you will prevail and you will increasingly put off the old and put on the new. You will increasingly reflect the image and likeness of God. For as many as are so led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God who reflect the character of our Heavenly Father. Now this is all quite amazing and astonishing, but there's even more wonderful things here. Not only are we the sons of God, the children of God, we're also the heirs of God. Verse 17. If children, then heirs. If children of God, then heirs of God. Joint heirs with Christ. 
You see, God's purpose is not only that every one of us should reflect his image and likeness, but also that God's children should be his heirs. Not only sharing the, fam the family likeness, but sharing the family inheritance. You know, when we talk about heirs and inheritances, we usually are thinking and talking about money. But the word heir is also used in connection with position and responsibility. For example, imagine a company called Ernest and Son Muffins. Someone by the name of Ernest has developed a, a marvellous recipe for muffins that are so delicious that this small, small family business becomes a multinational operation. Imagine. And it's Ernest's plan that one day his son will take responsibility for the entire company. And so early on in his life, Ernest grooms his son and prepares him for a position that will one day be his. Now it's not always going to be easy for Ernest Jr. or Ernest Sr. But Ernest Jr. has been born to and is destined for a position of enormous privilege and great responsibility. And in a similar way, God is preparing sons and daughters for a position of great privilege and responsibility. And the process of preparing us for that is not always easy for us, nor for the Lord. That's why Paul says in the rest of verse 17, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. In other words... We share in his sufferings in order that we might share in his glory. But whatever the difficulties of this period of preparation, they are not, verse 18, worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And then Paul describes the position for which we are being prepared, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The word creature there is the same Greek word often translated creation, for example, back in verse 22. For the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, as we've seen, the sons of God are those that reflect God's image, his likeness. But Paul here tells us that the creation, the whole creation, is waiting in eager anticipation for that day when all the, the sons of God who resemble him, when they will all be manifested and revealed to the world. When Paul talks about creation here, he's talking about the fallen creation that is in verse 20 subject to vanity and futility. So he's not talking about angels and he's not talking about most unsaved people because most unsaved people are not longing for and waiting for the manifestation of the children of God. He's talking about the inanimate creation, the forests and the fields, 
the rivers and the mountains, the birds and the fish, the plants and the animals. Verse 22, Paul says that all of them are groaning and travailing in pain together until now. They are eagerly awaiting the day, verse 21 says, the creation itself, when the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption, delivered from the effects of the curse, verse 20 and 21. Even now the creation is longing, literally the word they're craning their necks on tippy toes, just look, waiting, when, when is it coming? They're looking forward to that day, this great event when the sons of God being glorified, so much like the Father, when the, sons of, when the Spirit of God has so purified us that we resemble God, the masterpiece that he originally created, the creation is waiting for this day when the sons of God, the redeemed, glorified sons of God will ultimately be revealed. Or as when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, as Jude says, with ten thousands of his saints, the creation's waiting for that day. Well, let's give the inanimate creation a voice and listen for what it has to say. If Dr. Doolittle can talk to the animals, then why shouldn't we listen to them? As they tell us creation's story, <clears throat> a little bit more imagination. Representative of God's creation have gathered together in a focus group to tell their story. And in the group, there's a river there's a field, there's some trees, there's a sandy beach, there's an elephant, a lion, a host of other animals, along with some fish, a few birds and swarms of insects. It's difficult to get any order established because uh, in this meeting, they're all groaning, they're all moaning and complaining. The river is unhappy because there hasn't been enough rain. And the beach is not happy because the wind has been provoking the sea and making it angry. And a few antelope are complaining about the way that the lions are exercising a reign of terror. And the crows are complaining that the mosquitoes have been carrying this virus. And the mosquitoes blame the river for moving too slowly. And it's quite clear that nobody is happy. Well, eventually they all settle down and the meeting is called to order. Have you always been this unhappy, we ask? No, says the river. When God first made me, I was sparkling and pure and clean and never dried up. Yes, says the lion. When God first made me, he satisfied me with food. So I didn't need to rip and tear other animals apart. And all the others agree. Yes, when God made us, everything was good. Well, what went wrong, we ask? It was man, the buffalo says in a rather gruff voice. How so? God put Adam in charge of all of us, says the field. He told the man and the woman to fill the earth and subdue it. Yes, says some of the other animals. God put man of, in charge of all of us as well. In those days, we came to the man. He gave us our names. It was like a paradise, says the sparrow. It was paradise, says the eagle. So, so what went wrong? Well, Adam and his wife Eve 
wanted to know about evil. Yes, says the serpent. I'm afraid I'm a bit to blame there. I don't know exactly what happened, but it seemed as if I was overtaken by some power outside of the garden and I spoke and have never done that since until this day, of course. The field continues. After they got their knowledge of evil, everything changed for them and for us. And when God came to deal with them, we expected that God would curse the man and the woman and leave us in peace. But instead of cursing Adam and Eve, he cursed us. He said to Adam, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. What did we do? They asked. We've been laboring under this curse ever since. You have no idea what it's been like for us, says the elephant. Our family has been slaughtered and butchered for ivory. The beach says men have fought wars over us. The field agrees. They've soaked us with their blood. And the whole group begins moaning and complaining again about what it's been like to live under this curse, under the government of man and all of his sin. And we might perhaps begin to despair with them, but then a voice speaks up and everyone settles down and listens. An eagle says, but this is not the end of the story. God has promised that the curse will be removed. He promised to deliver the man and the woman from the power of sin forever. And when he has, fin when he has finished his work on them, we are next. And that's why we're all eagerly awaiting for the day when God's work on men and women will be over, when they will bear the original image that God created them to be, and when that happens, when the sons of God are manifested like the Father, then our turn will come. Verse 21. Because the creation itself, the creature itself, the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. This is creation's story. Man was originally made a little lower than the angel. God placed everything under his feet, Psalm 8 tells us. But man was not able to maintain that position. Today we don't see everything subject to man as God intended, as it should be. Hebrews 2 tells us that. Man's government of the world has been woefully lacking We've left creation groaning, longing for deliverance, waiting for a change of government. And the whole creation is looking for the day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and all the glory, glorious sons of God will be revealed with him. The curse ultimately will be removed. The created order will be placed under Jesus Christ who will rule and reign in the millennium. The curse will be removed. And we shall rule and reign with him, men and women who reflect the image and likeness of God, who share in his inheritance. We rule and reign with him upon the earth. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world the first time, as the image of God. He is the one in whom the whole creation finds its hope. He came to bring many sons to glory, Hebrews tells us. 
because it's, it's God's purpose to lead men and women back to the glory from whence we have fallen. So God sends his spirit into all of his people. And the spirit of God is today leading us into battle against sin so that we become people in whom the likeness, the image of God can be increasingly seen. But on that final day, when we are ultimately glorified, when our salvation is complete and we stand with Jesus Christ and him before the Father, he will say, hear and the children that you have given to me. And he will be the first of many brethren who reflect the image and likeness of God. The whole creation is waiting for this. Because when the sons of God are revealed, the creation itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The Old Testament prophets anticipated a, the joy of creation when this, the, the curse is removed. Isaiah spoke about the wolf once again lying down with the lamb and living together, the mountains breaking forth, the trees into singing, the fields clapping their hands. And God's final purpose is fulfilled. There will be, after the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, there will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That will be the home of righteousness. And the, the Bible is not vague when it talks about the ultimate destiny of the Christian. Paradise will be restored. We will walk with God as Adam did. We'll enjoy the delights of God's presence in heaven throughout the millennium, ultimately in the new heavens and the new earth. Are you a son or daughter of God? If you're not sure, Notice that the way to be an heir of God is to be a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And it is by faith in Jesus Christ. It is by coming to Jesus Christ in faith and trusting him as our saviour from sin. This is how we come in this glorious relationship of being a child of God. We are born again by the Spirit of God as we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is by coming to Jesus Christ as a sinner, trusting Christ as our saviour, that we're brought into God's family. As many as received him, to them he gave the power, the authority to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. That's where we, where we begin. But if you are a child of God, are you living as someone who can be distinguished as one of God's children because you bear the family image, the family likeness? Does your life have the marks of someone who follows the leading of the Holy Spirit into intentional assaults against sin, which has taken up residence in our life? That is how God's glory is reflected. Increasingly, it will be seen in us. And the whole creation is waiting for the day when that process, which is continuing, will ultimately come to a completion. God's ultimate purpose in the life of every Christian, is to restore that image and likeness so that we may reflect his glory. And the Holy Spirit dwells within us and is active within us and he is leading us for this very purpose.
It is for this reason that the Holy Spirit leads us into battle against the sinful deeds of our body. And engaging in that struggle against the power of sin and temptation is one of the distinctive marks of a son or a daughter of God. God will progressively restore his likeness in his children. And when that work is complete, the sons of God will be revealed. The whole creation will be renewed. Ultimately, there will be a new heaven and a new earth placed under the stewardship of a restored humanity as we rule and reign with Christ. And God will be glorified forever and ever through his people, through his creation. And then shall every man have praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel, the good news that sinners can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you that, uh, Lord, when you justify us, you also begin to sanctify us. And that happens day by day as we yield to the Spirit of God who would lead us to mortify the deeds, the sinful deeds of the body. Thank you that the Spirit of God is with us and in us and helps us in this way. And I do, Lord, I pray that we would uh, yield, not just passively yield, but actively pursue, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in this matter. Help us to be aware of that still, small voice speaking to us, calling us to deal with certain and specific sins, not to resist that call, that voice, that leading, not to turn a blind eye, a deaf ear to it, harden our hearts against it, but to, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit into battle against sin. Thank you that we don't go alone. Thank you that you're always with us. And the Spirit of God himself, all-powerful God, uh, helps us. We look forward to the day when all sin is eradicated from our lives, when we stand before you blameless, completely glorified. Uh, what a wonderful that day that will be uh, when the saints are gathered there in the perfection which is theirs in Christ. And then ultimately when the Son of Man, the Son of God will be uh, returned to the earth in great power and glory with his saints. What a wonderful day that will be for the world. A wonderful day will begin as the, the rest of creation benefits from the redemptive and saving work of Christ, the curse removed, glorious days ahead for God's children and God's creation. Uh, Lord, this is the hope that we have in Christ. And I do pray that uh, you would help us to cooperate with the Spirit of God, the gracious Spirit of God, so freely given to us. I pray that you'd help us in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.